I'd like to introduce myself first. I'm Dr. Colette Snowden. I'm here to chair this session with uh, the fabulous Leanne, Leanne Moriarty. And I'm from the University of South Australia's creative unit, where we do teach uh, creative writing. So there's probably some students here today. Hello to you. And I'm very happy that our Auslan interpreter, Amber, is one of our graduates. <laughs> and I'll begin with the usual acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the Ghana people are the traditional custodians of the Adelaide Plains and pay respects to elders past, present and future. We recognize and respect their cultural heritage beliefs and relationship with the land. We acknowledge that they are of continuing importance to the Ghana people living today. I'd like to thank you for attending Writers Week. Last year, we were grateful that we were able to have Writers Week while the rest of the world was still very much in the throes of the um, pandemic. This year, we're also grateful to be here and to have so many people back uh, attending, hungry to meet authors like Leanne and to meet each other. So thank you all for coming. Um, we do have to reinforce some of the key conditions of COVID management approved by SA Health. Please maintain social distancing wherever possible and we strongly encourage the uh, wearing of masks and ask you to follow the directions given by COVID marshals, venue staff and volunteers. Uh, after this session, you will be able to uh, buy the book from the um, usual places. But now what we're here for is to meet the wonderful Leanne Moriarty. From my research, there are three main types of uh, Leanne Moriarty fans. The long-standing fans who discovered her books when she first started publishing. Who are you? Where are you? Yeah, give a, give a wave. <laughs> and uh, then there are the people who um, discovered the books through the screen adaptation of Big Little Lies and Nine Perfect Strangers. So who are you? Yeah. And then there are those people who've been recruited by the first lot, the fans <laughs> who have had recommendations and book clubs. So we've all come to read the books through various means. Um, and one of the interesting things about Leanne's latest book is the lovely acknowledgement she gives to the readers. Because of course all writers need readers and we start as readers. So what do you think authors want to hear? Uh, what do you think your readers want to hear from you as the author? Oh, what, what, do, what do my readers want to hear from me? About your books, about you. Uh, a lot of the time they want to know where do you get your ideas from. Um, so that's the main 
the main Where question. Where do you get your ideas from? So, <laughs> so, yeah, so I get that asked a lot. So, I'm, actually, I'm just thinking. There are a few standard questions, and I have in uh, certain times been surprised. So, for example, I just went through um, breast cancer this last year, and so while undergoing uh, radiation therapy, so there on my back... Uh, and the woman said, oh, um, you're Leanne Moriarty, you're, you're, you're an author. Where do you get your ideas from? <laughs> uh, so I had to say my standard answer, uh, which is everywhere. So from uh, articles that I read, from um, overheard conversations, uh, The Husband's Secret, for example, I remember reading a story about uh, deathbed confessions, so somebody um, uh, confessed to uh, faking the photo of the Loch Ness Monster uh, on his... Um, it's probably, if you're thinking of an image in your mind, yeah. it's probably the photo that he did with a little toy submarine. <laughs> um, so that was an article about... Uh, that made me think of, obviously, people, the weight that they felt that they wanted to yeah. reveal of this. when should I tell and them? We, yes. And then the, my favourite was the one who confessed to um, murdering his next-door neighbour, but sadly he didn't die. He um, <laughs> woke up, so he had to go straight from hospital <laughs> to jail. <laughs> <laughs> Is that funny or, or <laughs> I sad? Think, I think it's what's well, not nice for the neighbour. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, you've also discussed in many interviews the role of research, and in in the um, apples never fall, you thank a lot of people for the talking to you and sharing information, and you mentioned the books that you read about tennis, how important is that research process when you're um, developing your ideas? Uh, it's, it's very important uh, because what I've come to realise is that people, although they understand it's a story, uh, it's so important that they lose, um, you know, you've got to suspend disbelief but they come out of the story if they find something that's not right. So people will come up to me at events and say, these particular flowers do not grow at this time of year. Uh, and I always have to say, I know, my mother told me uh, as soon as she read the book. Uh, and this couldn't have happened on this day because it would have been at this time. And it's funny, they say it to you, they're not saying, they're not pointing out you made a mistake, they're saying, how could it have happened? As if, explain to me, because they true, and I have to say, I made it up, so <laughs> I make mistakes. So I think um, with each book, I've uh, become more and more desperate to get the facts right. And in this book, I wrote a book about tennis, and I'm not a tennis, um, I'm, I can play a little bit of social tennis, but I don't know all that much about tennis which was revealed embarrassingly when I did a, a BBC interview uh, when the book came out and the interviewer said to me, and you've written a book about tennis and it's come out today on today, today of all days. Can you believe it? 
And I was thinking, what is why today of all days? Tuesday. Uh, well, it was it was the, um, this beautiful young girl, Emma Redak. So all the yeah. tennis fans will know. Uh, and my tennis coach was mortified for me that I didn't know that she'd won um, Wimbledon. No, 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 the, the US, no, Open. US Open. Um, yeah, so it is really important um, to get to get it right for that so reason. So why did you pick tennis? I picked tennis uh, because so I had my premise, which is that uh, a woman goes missing and the, her husband is the main suspect and her four children, some of them think there's a possibility that my our father could have murdered our mm. mother. Um, some The other two, and they're, sorry, they're adult children, and the others think, no, there's no way. Uh, and then I thought to myself, uh, I, ne- I would quite like them to have a business, a, a family business. Because uh, you're always trying to think, what will my people do? You need to give them jobs. <laughs> um, and I was thinking a family business would be good because then you can contain them all in one place. So, f- Which is what I did with Nine Perfect Strangers. I sent them all off to a health resort, so mm. then they're all together. It's what, exactly what Agatha, Agatha, Agatha Christie, Christie does. Yeah. Um, so I was actually having a tennis lesson because I was trying to keep up with my son, who's got quite good at tennis. He's only um, 14, but now he's better than me. Um, <laughs> so I, we did used to play tennis as children, but... Um, it was just a very much a part of our, which I always felt I had to explain to American audiences that here in Australia... Yeah, that, as uh, that's part what of I thought. To me, I, I, there was a really strong sense that it's an homage to uh, a suburban Australia that is fading yes. when people had tennis courts... Rich people had tennis courts. Uh, and But lots of people played played tennis. Yes, but lots of people who did not have much money at all had tennis courts Mm. too. So my father, um, they were not a wealthy family, but um, there were bigger houses, um, bigger blocks of land, and his own father built, you know, a really crummy tennis (laughs) court, but it was something that people used to do. Yeah, it was, you know, now they build houses on the tennis courts. Yes, yes, yeah. Brings yeah. me to my next question. You know, place is very much an important part of a novel. The location, like mm. where you locate the characters, the descriptive part of the the novel. How do you think that the way that uh, the changing way that Australians live will change? Writing because there won't be tennis courts, there won't be suburban blocks, there there won't be people living on floodplains. I hope. And mm. so, yeah. How change the way they write yeah, well, or the stories? Change the, change or the, the way you write and change how you can construct a story around place. Well, to be honest, I don't think place is my strength. I don't. Um, I'm. If I, I always. I think if I'm sitting um, in my study and I look out at a tree and I have to say, what sort of tree is that? Ask somebody else. I'm not, I'm not good at, at describing a landscape. So for me, I just have always set my books 
uh, in Australia, always in the Sydney suburbs, but to me they could actually be set anywhere in the world. So I think that's probably a question you have to ask. Uh, the other authors, yeah. like Tim Winton and I Wanda, was just um, about that. <laughs> how landscape will come yeah. into his writing. But so I... your 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 work is very character based. Mm. Are you a, a people watcher? I am a people watcher. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and yeah. how do you remember things about the people that you watch? Are you do you take notes or do you? Uh, sometimes I write things down, but other times it's just yeah, it just stays with you. Yeah, and there's mm. a very strong sense of um, your your uh, characters being often underestimated and or misunderstood. And is that theme based on your observations and experiences where people have a, a stereotypical understanding mm. of someone and then that their, their behaviour is uh, a surprise to them. I guess that does happen to me a lot. That it, um, So often when I meet somebody, I might put them in a particular category and then you think, oh, no, actually, you're, you're somebody entirely... You're a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll make you a murderer. <laughs> it's definitely... I never set out with a consciously to explore a particular theme um, so other so readers tell me the themes that come out in my so books. what so do you consciously set out to explore just so, so the I just have my premise and then I'm just interested uh, in in yeah. what then emerges and certain things come out so for example the desire uh, for children, I keep exploring in different ways, which I know is from myself because I was desperate mm. to have children and I uh, had my children very late. So I keep having characters who are desperate to have children and then I keep giving them children, <laughs> which I know I've had some readers tell me, you should have, um, uh, you know, some who accept that they can't have children. And But I think if I'm in charge of the world... And if I've made this person desperate to have a baby, they're going to get a baby somehow. <laughs> they don't have to get pregnant. I don't mean they'll naturally yeah. get pregnant, but they'll, uh, I'm giving it to them. Yeah. And you've often said that when you start writing, you don't know where it's going to go because you start with the pr- premise and allow the, the, the plot and the characters to develop. And that's, there seems to be a, a sense of excitement in your writing that you don't know where it's going and the reader doesn't know where it's going and that contributes to the flow of what you're doing. Do you get um, excited by the possibilities as you write? That is the way I... Um, the reason I write that way. Um, so I don't, I don't have a plan... Um, and so it means that when I sit down to write, I think I wonder what's going to happen today. Uh, but then, the, of course, the flip side of that is that I think I hope something is going to happen <laughs> today. And what, what n- normally shifts you towards something happening? Uh, I'm just always trying. So I, ne- I never want to give the impression that although I don't plan my books, that it all just falls into place. Uh, it doesn't work like that. So I often, 
I'd back myself into a corner. So with the husband's secret, I had three character, three characters, uh, and I can always remember the particular traffic light where I was when I was driving home, and where I suddenly worked out, okay, this is how their three strands can come together. So that's why I always really resent if I ever get a, a review about that book that says, oh, it was so predictable. I think, well, you're very clever um, <laughs> because I didn't understand how I was going to, to bring it together. Yeah. Um, and do you have one of those um, boards in your office where, with post-it notes and red bits of no, string? No, I don't. Um, <laughs> And I love the idea of that. I'm always really fascinated by what other authors do. So my favourite author is Anne Tyler, uh, and she apparently writes all sorts of different scenes down on index cards, and then she puts them all out in the hallway. Um, so I bought myself a whole big packet of index cards. Um, but I don't, I don't understand. It, it, <laughs> I don't. Didn't, it didn't work. <laughs> I haven't. It doesn't work. For me, I just have to sit there and start writing the story. The only thing that I do is I have a separate document called Things I Need to Fix because the, as I'm working it out, so, uh, so for example, in uh, Apples Never Fall, it became important that the character of Stan did not own a mobile phone. So uh, when I realised that I needed to do that, then I had to put in that document, go back and take Stan's phone off him because in the first chapter he's in bed um, scrolling through his phone. Yeah, it does. So it make, makes a, a huge difference when people can't contact yes, each other. That, and again, with Nine Perfect Strangers, that was the joy. I could take all their phones away because um, a lot of plots you realise when you read books before mobile phones, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have worked yeah. because they would have just picked up the phone and made a call, <laughs> yeah. sent for Police, help. come and yes. get me. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, another characteristic of your writing is humour. Uh, and it, I find that it's... Um, you, it's inserted in, in in very subtle ways at times, like you will pierce the pomposity of a character by giving making them wear something that 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 makes them look silly, or they say something that that undercuts their attempts to perform their character. Um, is that deliberate? Your your sense of humour. No, it's just it's just the way I write. So, um, and I do I do know that some people, um, because I am covering quite dark subjects sometimes, and I think some readers um, sometimes think, oh no no, you shouldn't have humour when you're dealing with um, dark such dark subjects. And I do have to be careful that I don't uh, become trite in. Um, in my writing or that people, and again, that they lose their um, sense of disbelief. Uh, so it's just always finding that right balance. But I never set out um, to say, oh, I'm going to be funny <laughs> today. <laughs> but or, uh, <laughs> but do, you, do you laugh when you, you, you think of something? That it is deeply embarrassing if I laugh at my own jokes. But yes, sometimes I do do a little. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you're in your office. Yes, yes. <laughs> Go like that. Um, going back to uh, Apples Never Fall, at the beginning you have an acknowledgement to your mother and this is the mother, the, the character of the mother is very central to it. So you, you said when we were preparing to come on stage that you don't set out with a theme but is this book and your interest in people having children also about motherhood? Um, it, maybe it's about um, motherhood, but as I say, it was really, really just the premise. And I do find as, as I'm getting older, my characters are getting older, um, which I've seen, I know Margaret Drabble is one of my favourite yeah. authors. All her books, um, the characters just get older and older. Um, so in another 30 years we can look forward to a thriller set in the nursing home. Well, it's, al it's already been done though, hasn't it? <laughs> He's done it so well. Um, uh, the Thursday, I've forgotten the name, but yeah, yeah. he got in first. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll need a fresh yes, one. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. We time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there is lots because my mother's just moved into a retirement village. There is lots of material. Uh, <laughs> My mother, um, I'll tell you, my mother is trying to be my own personal publicity person there in the village. And she did say to me that she met somebody who loved my books uh, and who always buys all my books. Her name's Barb. And she said to me, so we'll give a signed copy of your new book to Barb. So, which I did. I gave her a hard copy book, sent it to her. She went and knocked on Barb's door. She said, Barb did look a little bemused when um, she handed her the book, um, but she took it and said, thank you. And then a few weeks later, a beautifully written thank you card came that said, dear Leanne and Diane, thank you so much. I'm not sure why you gave me... Um, she's not one of my readers. Um, and the poor woman obviously found it quite... She's not, she's not my sort... My books are not for her. She found it very hard going. And so she had to go back and forth. I didn't really understand the way it went back and forth. Um, so it was very, very so embarrassing. Who, who was your mum getting you confused with? No, no, it was, no. Barb, it was Barb was confused with somebody else. I've, oh. forget, I've forgotten, forgotten the other woman's name. So you had to get another book. <laughs> had to get another book, and then Barb had to get chocolates as an apology for um, <laughs> having to receive read through my book. <laughs> so, but family it has been important to you. You've talked a lot about your formative years, um, and you said in one interview. I think my whole career has been about trying to get back to the unself-consciousness of writing I had as a little girl. I have to work hard each time to achieve what I achieved instantly when I was a kid with no barriers. So what are those barriers and how are they created? You know, I think a lot of people who are aspiring writers or have some creative impulse would like to know, how do you get over those barriers? Uh, yes, yeah, so the barriers are obviously fear that you, th you think you can't do it um, and the critical voice in your head that you think it's what I'm writing, it's, it's no good. Um, 
and just yeah, the pure terror that maybe I can't uh, can't do it. So that when I first start writing, there's a lot of flailing about. Um, so you have to trick yourself into achieving, you know, what athletes call um, getting into the zone, and I think in Buddhism they call. Um, losing your sense of self and just in flow. Uh, mm. I think psychologists call it yeah. getting into a state of flow. Uh, and so there are different ways, you know, just to say I'm going to write for 20 minutes without and without thinking anything at all about whether it's any good or not. Um, I have an egg timer that I used and say I must write um, for that sort of, um, for that length of time. Turning off the internet, I use Freedom, which is um, a program that restricts your internet access. Um, just, I, I do think in the current uh, age, just keeping attention, we've all lost our ability, and so I find it very hard not to think I must check my phone to see. Uh, what the latest COVID cases are, what, yeah. you know, uh, it seems every day. Uh, if, we're, if we're at war. Um, so it's, it's difficult. So putting the phone away, uh, these are all the things. And then eventually, if you do that, the story starts to take hold and you, it's the best feeling ever when you do lose yourself in the story. Yeah, and I, I, I'm, you're very generous in the acknowledgement of the people around you, with your publishers, your family, the, your friends. Is that process also important to you, for, for you to have that initial, those initial people to give you feedback and, and in the editing and revising process? Yes, the editing process is really important uh, because, as I spoke of before, getting all this, so I really appreciate the copy editing who do a line-by-line -line edit where, so they notice if you've changed the colours of the... Somebody's uh, eyes are blue and now they're brown, so there are tiny little things yeah. like that. Uh, and then structural things too... Um, and especially because I, write, I have an element of suspense in my books, so that's always hard to keep people interested. Um, and I know, and part of uh, when you were talking about the tears of people who come to my books, I do have some people who came to my books because um, I started writing more suspense-driven books. But then they do, I think, sometimes get a bit frustrated if I go off on too many tangents because they're suspense readers, so they want to keep flipping the pages. Yeah. Um, whereas, uh, really, I'm often more interested in the, the characters. So it's trying to get that balance right. I'm truly madly guilty. I took too long to tell uh, readers what happened at the barbecue. Um, but isn't that your combination of characterisation and suspense is what makes you unique as an author? Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, I know, I know, but it is hard. When do I tip over into two where they're just annoyed? And yeah. I think I just annoyed people yeah. with Truly Madly Guilty. That I should have told them earlier. 
know. <laughs> and you, 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 you mentioned fear. Does that go away or with each successive book? Does, no, do, I do. Do you get more confident or less confident? Or does it I just think, No, change? I think maybe less confident because I do think... Um, you're more likely to have you're more likely to have people at an event like this who aren't here because um, they love my books. They're they're resentfully here. <laughs> <laughs> so I do, and I do. I always remember that I um, got a beautiful letter from a woman once who said, um, "I came to one of your events. Never heard of you before. Had no interest. Um, just thought I'd buy a book." Uh, and then you were so nice to me in the in the signing line, and you asked about because I said my daughter was away, and you were so interested in my daughter. So it was lovely. But I thought I wouldn't have been so interested. <laughs> I didn't know you actually had. No I wonder if she read the book. <laughs> I don't know. She was. Lo- it was lovely, but it it just shows there's in a way there's more. Um, yeah, there's in in one way there's more pressure. And I did think actually with apples never fall. I took a bit longer to write this book, uh, and I remember I did reach one point where I thought, oh. I'm, I've achieved enlightenment. I'm just loving reading this book so much. I'm writing this book so much that I don't. I don't mind what happens. It's just about the art and. Uh, oh well, the, how did you decide to end it? And 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 was the. But it didn't. It didn't last. That yeah. no, no. It didn't. Once the book was came out, and then as soon as it was, I was waiting for the comments. I ha- I was not enlightened. I was an anxious <laughs> mess as. As ever, so no. And when did you make the decision to include the pandemic as part of the, the, the just book? just at the very end, because I was going back and forth with the timing, and I, then I suddenly realised, well, now it's COVID. Here, here we are. So I, it was never my intention to. Um, to write a pandemic book, it's just that I yeah, can't say, but then it just naturally came. Yeah, you can't ignore it, can you? <laughs> no, so I don't know what to do with the next one. I, I'd like to ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the theme of randomness and unexpected coincidences crops up in your work. Is that, is that something, I, I know you said you don't set out with a theme, but mm. is that something that fascinates you and does it help you construct the situations that your characters find themselves in? Uh, I, do, I do think you can't have as many coincidences in fiction as actually happen in real life. Mm. So readers are very unforgiving about coincidences. Um, mm. So you need to have... Uh, you need to have a reason why this has happened. Um, so, in, in fact, in real life, you'll hear crazy stories of coincidences. Well, it's interesting that, that you bring that up because Leanne doesn't know this, but my next question is, true stories have become extraordinarily popular and that how can you compete with that, the reality that, that we sometimes see, you know? Tiger King and um, <laughs> uh, Inventing Anna, those kinds of stories, uh, Dirty John, those I kinds know. of true stories that people are interested in. 
I don't know if you can compete. Uh, um, But it's always been that life is uh, stranger than fiction. But for me, it just means that every time I read a story like that, that's more material to uh, inspire. And and does that give you some confidence to allow your things to happen to your characters that um, might seem absurd? Yes, that's true, because you do think... uh, um, Yep, crazy things happen. Yeah. But, yep, no, but our readers really do not want that thing. Oh, that wouldn't happen. But I think you can have crazy characters. Yeah. Well, there are lots of characters in the world, aren't there? (laughs) Um, Now, before your success as an author, you worked in advertising and marketing... So let's assume that numerous books of similar quality are published at the same time. How much difference does the successful promotion and marketing help one of those books reach an audience while the others don't? Um, well, I think word of mouth is, um, is the best way that... Um, so there are definitely books... That, um, that just find their audience. So uh, the Harry Potter books did not um, have an amazing advertising and marketing campaign. Uh, I always remember seeing somebody speaking at an event and he said he spoke on a panel with JK Rowling right at the beginning when nobody was buying her books and she actually said at that event, oh, they're not doing so well. And her publisher said, oh, they're actually, they're just starting to take off. So it can happen from word of mouth. Um, but, yeah, as you say, if it's all of the same quality, obviously um, the Big Little Lies series brought me many, many more readers who would never have heard of heard of my books, so things like that. I feel very fortunate. Yeah. Um, but you don't write now with the idea that you're going to have an adaptation. I, I, I read an interview where you said that um, you, you don't... That isn't foremost in your mind when you're writing. No, it really, it really isn't. I know some people uh, assume that it is, um, but I always have so many internal monologues. Uh, and even with Nine Perfect Strangers... Uh, I had sent them all off there doing a silent retreat, so there was no dialogue for pages on end. So I'm always doing a lot of inner thoughts. So, no, I don't want to start thinking about the yeah. the eventual adaptation. Yeah, And you do write children's books as well. Well, I wrote three children's books, um, which uh, didn't do as well as my adult books. So, sadly, the last book ends with the main character in grave danger, um, and she's had to stay there in grave (laughs) danger. And I do sometimes get uh, letters from children saying, it seems like Nicola Berry um, needs help, and I I know, I'm sorry. She needs help (laughs) by people buying the books. (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) So um, you mentioned Anne Tyler and... uh, what else do you, are you read? Do you read, and who who do you like to read? Uh, yes, yeah, so Anne, Anne Tyler is my favourite author because she uh, writes about ordinary um, ordinary people in ordinary situations. So it's, she she gave me 
permission to write about ordinary people. Um, who else do I love? Kate Atkinson, Maggie O'Farrell. Um, <clears throat> uh, I must say Tony Jordan, thinking of Australian, <laughs> Australian yeah. authors. Um, so a lot of female authors, probably of my similar, um, similar sort of genre. Um, and what, which of them would you take to a desert island? Oh, I'd probably take my Ann Tyler yeah. selection. Mm. And some blank notebooks. Yes. I don't know. I always take, start to take that too literally. Can't I take a phone? Can't I? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I start Can I have a sat phone? <laughs> yes, yes, that's yeah. right. Um, during the, um, the uh, bushfires, which feature a bit in uh, Apple Spore, um, you were an enthusiastic advocate of authors for fireys and, and gave them quite a lot of support. So you've got characters. Got two characters, yes. Yeah. Who um, I was just—it was a wonderful initiative, but not mine. That um, another author started, where um, our readers could bid for the rights to have their character names used in um, in my book. So I have have two. Yeah. yeah. So with the with, with the images of the flood cleanups that we're now seeing in New South Wales and Queensland, I was thinking about how many people have lost all their books, mm. and whether um, there'll be uh, authors for floods as well. Yeah. That, that's what. Yeah. We we. You're right. We absolutely should. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, imagine having your whole all your all I your know, books into, yeah. underwater. Um, well, we're going to move to questions from the audience shortly. So, if anyone has questions and you'd like to move to the microphone, can you make sure that you have an actual question? Um, and frame it as a question so that Leanne, uh, Leanne can answer it. And I'll just have one more question while people make their way to the microphone. Um, you, unlike a lot of authors, give public credit to your study uh, doing a master's degree in creative writing, um, which can be quite contentious because people don't often argue that you can't teach creativity. Why was uh, doing that study so valuable to you and how did it help you develop your, your practice as a, as a writer? Um, the main thing for me was that it gave me a structure to, to write my first novel. So I may have um, got that from a writing group, but because I had spent so much money on it, um, and it was the other people in the class, so it was having um, supportive people reading your book each week. Uh, and I can remember coming home from those classes and my face would be um, burning from because um, people had said nice things about my, about my book. So it was just an exhilarating time uh, because it kept me going. Because the hardest thing is to finish your first novel. It just seems impossible. Yeah, and, but you did, and it but was. But I did, and yeah. it was very <laughs> successful. Okay, so do we do we have any people with questions? 
Do you want me to ask more questions? Oh, are we shy in Adelaide? I'm just... <laughs> oh, here's one. <laughs> yeah. Hang on, there's someone at the microphone. Sorry, I couldn't find the microphone. Um, <laughs> hi, uh, my name's Amy, and I've been reading your books for a really long time, since I was probably, I don't know, 12 or 13. <laughs> and... Um, I'm a creative writer, I'm not very good, but I've never written a book, but I sort of um, spend all my time planning one, and I've got this book, and it's got like 30 main characters, and I've got these like elaborate lives for all of them, and I sort of just sit in this one cafe and plan it, and it's sort of just based on mundane everyday people, just parents at a school, their kids, and like the way all their lives intertwine, I draw all this inspiration from my real life and it's sort of, you gave me permission to write about just boring, mundane people. And because I've always found it so fascinating to just watch people and just put their stories somewhere. But I was wondering how you take your characters and like decide on a plot, because I've got so many people and no plot and I'm just sort of drawing a blank. <laughs> Ah, uh, well, you've got, you've got all your characters and you know your characters so well, so now you've got to decide what your characters want uh, and take it away from them or make sure that one other, make one other character have something that the other one wants. Um, cause you, because you know them, you've got to... Um, you could kill one of them off. You've got to make... <laughs> You've got to make something happen. So life happens. And as soon as you start doing that, then the plot can fall into, into place. So you don't need to, you don't need to have it all um, <clears throat> worked out, how it will end. But you've got your people in your cafe and all of a sudden there's an explosion in the, in the kitchen, now what happens? So now you know all your characters. Who's the character who's going to go save somebody? Who's the character who's going to run for his life? Um, yeah, that you've, just, you've just got to make stuff happen and then watch your characters, cause, because you know them, so they'll start doing things for you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Um, next question, please. Hello. Hello, my name is Rai. My question for you is, we've experienced years now of unprecedented events, the pandemic, the events of climate change, such as the devastating fires and now the floods, as well as scenes of the war currently unfolding overseas. Do you feel more pressure now than in the past to provide your own perspective on these types of events? Uh, no, I, to me, uh, I can remember when I was writing my very first book when it was just, when I was just coming to the end, September 11 happened, and I remember thinking, oh, I can't put this book out to be published now. Um, the world's falling apart. People don't want to read about families and, uh, you know, a cheerful book about three sisters. 
Uh, but people do. People, people still want, they want distraction in times like this. And I'm not an author uh, who gives huge, um, who has a global perspective. I'm interested in families um, and I'm interested in uh, sub normal suburban lives. And the fact is that while all these terrible things are happening, we still go home and argue with our husbands. Um, and those things are still important. So, no. Um. Next one. Hi, Leanne. Richard's my name. I really enjoyed uh, Nine Perfect Strangers. I was just wondering where you came up for the concept, the idea of the sort of rehab facility <laughs> and uh, the use of psychedelics and the quite nutty... <laughs> runner of the... Uh, it was just a wonderful read. Oh, thank you. Um, that came from um, an article I read about the use of psychedelics. So in uh, uh, end of... So term, patients with terminal diseases, um, apparently they did a study where these psychedelics were gave them um, a lot of peace of mind. Uh, so apparently there's all this wonderful research being done. Um, and so I just I was just intrigued by that. Uh, and also I loved the idea of the, and of the microdosing. Um, so I haven't done, I have not tried any. A lot of people have said to me, you must have tried some of this. Um, and I have, I have not. Um, but I do love, I'm, I love, Drugs, um, which is why I haven't not. Um, I, I, We're going to edit that, that and use it. I to mean, I love. This I talk. just love legal drugs, so I'm not the per. You know, if I have a um, an operation and you get the the little anaesthetic beforehand, my sister she gets she can't stand it. I'm just. I can remember being wheeled off and the orderly saying, "You're having a good time, aren't you?" <laughs> Um, so I just love the idea of it, and obviously there's something in it. One day the um, researchers will, um, it may become a legal um, choice, and so it just seemed a fun idea that I had this nutty person. The nutty, the leader of the health resort, actually, as you were saying earlier from the people who bid to have their names used in one of my books, I originally had a, a small bald man named Gregory and he was running the health resort and then I remembered I had to use a particular name because she'd uh, bidded at a Starlight Foundation event to have her name used and it was Maria otherwise known as Masha Demachenko uh, and so I thought actually I'm going to get rid of Gregory and here's Masha and all of a sudden by just that name created um, this six-foot-tall, charismatic Russian woman. Yeah. She's a good role for Nicole because she finally got to be as tall as, as tall, she, yes, as that's she right. really is. Yes. <laughs> Next question. Hi, Leanne. Um, have you always written almost practically full-time in terms of, you know, as, as your profession I suppose um, and what advice would you give to people who are kind of they're busting to write something but there's full-time work you know some people have children you know sort of balancing it in amongst everyday life 
um, as well. Is there, um, do you have any techniques for kind of fitting writing into life as well? Um, so the main thing is that to take yourself seriously. So um, if you want to write, then um, you've made that decision. So you need to make the time. So uh, so if it's children, so when I... So first of all, yes, I did have... I was a freelance copywriter, so I was writing advertising copy and writing my novel... Um, uh, at the same same time, but I didn't have children then, um, so I could fit it in, and I was single. So it seems to me, looking back now, that I had all the time in the world. Uh, but I, then I have to say, when my children were little, I and I was still doing freelance work. I just had a babysitter who would come for three hours at a time. Uh, and the fact that she was there and that I only had three hours, it meant that I, when I look back, I think I was more productive in those three hours than, um, at, than I've ever been since um, because I had the doors locked uh, and I knew I couldn't leave because to have another cup of tea because she'd know that I'd already had a cup of tea. Um, and so it's ju it's just carving out the time and treating yourself seriously, uh, and 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 also not thinking that I, I think sometimes you think it will never happen. If um, even if you do a couple of paragraphs, it eventually it builds up to a book. So not to think, well, it's no point writing for an hour today because I'm not going to finish a book today. But that's okay. If you if you finish a couple of hundred words today, um, then eventually you'll write a hundred thousand words. Next, hello there. Hello. Um, I was very excited to hear about you just starting your day and not knowing where where it would take you. I'm interested in how many times an idea flies and becomes something amazing and how often does it, does it fall? Um, is an idea great one day and the next day you're like, oh, I can't believe I thought of that. Um, so I'm interested in that. Also in your writing routine and the strategies you use, you mentioned it a bit about having windows of time or an egg beater or egg timer. Mm. But yeah, I'm just interested in how you keep going and what kind of routine you've got for your work? Um, yes, so definitely some ideas uh, end up not not working. Uh, I find that if an idea, if it keeps coming back into my head, then I think, okay, well, this is something that I should explore. I haven't yet had it where I've written too far into it and then had to had to give up. Uh, I think if I'm doing it slowly enough and I'm getting to know the characters, then it, I, there's always a way, uh, even if you have to go back and change things in the beginning. Um, and in terms of my routine, uh, it's, it's just... I don't know. Sometimes I think I'm terrible at this. I, it's because as I'm at the early stages now of a new novel and I don't know how I do it. Uh, it's, I'm a word counter. So Stephen King says, uh, I think he says, write 2,000 words a day. 
Uh, that's too many for me. So I say 500 words a day. I do like to have a little notebook where I do... I like to praise. I'm very uh, approval-seeking. Um, so I write um, how many words I've done each day and then I give myself little stars and say, well done, Leanne, and, and that sort of... An elephant sort stamp. Of <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, so any, any, it's, it's like... Uh, it's Really, you know yourself, so everybody has to work out their own way of what's going to encourage you. Uh, and so some, I know some friends have to have um, a writing group, so they're always giving it to a chapter to somebody, to somebody else. Um, so whatever it takes for you. But, but just keep at it, I think, is the, is the main thing to remember. Thank you. Hey Leanne, I'm Wendy, and I just wanted to ask you about the TV adaptation. Like, how did that process all happen? How were you involved? Who approached who? Thanks. Uh, so the TV adaptation of Big Little Lies, uh, I just heard that um, uh, Nicole Kidman and Reese with the spoon were interested in uh, doing an adaptation. And to be honest, I was um, very thrilled to meet Nicole and to be able to uh, throw their names around, but I didn't think anything would come of it because I'd had books optioned before. Uh, and other authors always say, don't get too excited until the day they start shooting uh, because the things, the, the process just goes, takes years and years. Uh, but I just got very lucky, um, and I, but I chose not to be involved in a very hands-on way. Uh, so they asked, would I like to write the screenplay? But for me, because part of the pleasure in writing is finding out what happens, I already knew what happened. Um, so to me, it felt really boring to me to think of sitting there and rewriting my own book into and, another. And taking things out. Because yes, and uh, you know, you time. have to take take things out, um, which I and which I always accepted. Although I had st I started to think if I'd write uh, a sequel to um, Big Little Lies, and I started writing because uh, in. The book, there's Fred, the character of Fred, and I was going to, I started writing, because I forgot about Fred myself, because <laughs> they took Fred out, and then I was going to have Madeline saying, Where's Fred? Everybody forgets Fred. I was thinking, He doesn't exist. Um, but I understand you do need to take certain characters out, um, which, but I don't want to do to do that. Yeah. So for me, it was just pure pleasure from start to finish. It was just a, a fun act um, being on the sidelines. And, uh, thanks for being here. Um, I just have one question. Uh, I've heard uh, you mention a few times the phrase getting to know your characters. Uh, how do you get to know a character? Uh, for, well, for me, I know some authors uh, like to know their characters completely before they start writing them. For me, I, I often will have uh, just a couple of attributes. So to, that's the way I design a character. And often they're attributes from somebody I really know. So, for example, the character of Madeline in Big Little Lies, I can always remember writing down perpetually outraged, like so-and-so, 
uh, and a sparkly, shimmery sort of girl like so-and-so. And I just had those two attributes. And so I started writing this character. And in the beginning, I can't... I find it hard because I don't know her, so she feels a bit cartoon-like. It's like, like she... Um, I can't make her move. But just through the process of writing her and and thinking, oh, maybe she does this, maybe she speaks like this, maybe um, how does she react when this happens? So when um, things happen, seeing her reaction, seeing other people's perspectives on her, and then through the process of writing her, I start to, she starts to become clear in my mind. And then I always go back to the early chapters and think, oh, Madeline wouldn't have said this because now I know her. Uh, and she also becomes her own person. So th there's a little bit of magic in it that happens. If you, if you keep working on it, it just happens naturally. You, uh, I, don't like, I don't like talking about magic too much. I don't like the airy-fairy stuff. But there is a little bit if you keep working at it. Thank you. Have another question? No? Okay. Well, um, I think Leanne, Leanne has shared an enormous amount about her process of writing. And those of you familiar with her books will um, admire, as I do, the fluency of her writing, which we were discussing before we came over here, is very hard to achieve. And I think that's part of the magic. It is this, the discipline of turning up and, and writing every day, pulling together the aspects of plot so that they make sense and people don't tell you that your flowers are growing in the <laughs> wrong season and you put the trees in the wrong place. And believable characters and that is real skill and talent that we need to appreciate so could you please show your appreciation for Leanne <laughs> and if if you're too shy to ask a question in this kind of forum please go to the book signing and you can ask Leanne Directly, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank, thank you. It's been my first time on stage since the beginning of the pandemic, so it's been really lovely to be back here with people. Thank you. Thank you, Colette. Thank you, Leanne.